1: On the social media platforms Just search for Ron Upshaw Or Don O'Neill Hey
0: you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 393 now Of the Ron and Don Show Yeah, we are back We are pumped to be back And of course, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios What
1: is up, Ron and Don Nation?
0: Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show We gotta tell you about a house that we just took down And we went up against an all-cash offer how do you go up against an all-cash offer and when? Hang on, because I'm going to tell you. And if you're a real estate agent or you've hired a real estate agent, you're going to want to make sure they do these three things. And if you don't have a real estate agent, hey, there's a couple of real estate agents that are sitting right here. I love those guys. Yeah. Uh, how can they get in touch with us? Yeah, you
1: can email me, ron at windermere.com, or go to our website, ronanddonsitdown.com. Sign up for the Nation News. If you want to sit down, that's the way to do it.
0: Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Ron just came back from Costa Rica. He was doing a little diving down in Costa Rica, and I don't know about you guys, but I am very jealous about, one, that he's diving, and two, that he went to Costa Rica. In fact, uh, just last year, my son, my 11-year-old son, got his diving cert. And I had promised him. In fact, we were sitting there at New Year's. or you we are watching the fireworks fly in Maui, just he and I. And at the stroke of midnight, we said, you know what we're going to do? This year, we are going to do hard things. And we're going to learn from hard things. And sometimes we'll fail doing hard things, but we're going to do hard things. And then he shared some things with me that I'll keep to me that he said that he's going to try this year. And then I shared something I'll share with you. I said, you know what? I I get really freaked out about enclosed places, especially on airplanes, and then also, I love being in the water. I've taught water ski camps for years. I used to jump on jet skis, drive them all over the lake. The stand-up kind was pretty good at it, riding those in the Columbia River, but as far as going under the water, that's always freaked me out a little bit, but I had decided this year, you know what? I'm going to go become a diver. So I just passed my test. I got a 92% on it. Uh, and I just got off the phone with my friends in Maui, Maui Dreams. And I'm going to head over there uh, May 22nd and do what Ron just did. You are a patty certified diver. Much respect to you. Tell us about this journey of becoming a, becoming a diver. I'm kind of jealous, and at the same time, uh i am uh, i am encouraged by it so. i
1: am going to be fascinated with how you navigate these waters so to speak because of all the stuff you just said it does freak you out like I- i'm not going to paint a rosy picture it is bizarre and so for me i have uh, a very close friend that's all in our real estate uh a partner of mine that we own a house together and for when his kids reach a certain age he says uh, it, what, they do a family trip so whenever wherever you want to go we'll do that trip so for his son this year his son said i want to learn to scuba dive and i want to go to costa rica and so i got invited to go on this trip several months ago and part of the deal with that was to be ready to do the open water dive so for those of you that never done this and, and i was very apprehensive about it because i'd done one thing when I was stupid and much younger and did a mini dive in Mexico with a total like unregulated fly by night deal. And it was, it was scary and it was unsafe and I regretted doing it. Mm. And so now, cause it was, you're on vacation and they say you could do it. And I did it and was like, wow, that was really stupid. I could have drowned and people were swimming into caves and by a wreck. And I was like, that, that was real. I could have died. So I I had that in the back of my mind. And then this was like, no, we're going to do it right We're going to go through the full PADI course. So for those that don't know, there's two major bodies that are organizations that certify divers. And the biggest one by far is PADI. I don't even know what it stands for. Uh, But it's an international deal. It's a database that if you go through the certification standards and you get a membership and you get your card, you can then dive anywhere in the world that has a PADI diving shop. And so most of the time, you're not going to carry your air tanks on a plane with you.
0: Yeah, it's the Professional Association of Diving Instructors, PADI. Right.
1: So, um, you know, you if you think about it, I'm going to fly to Hawaii. You wouldn't, you know, carry your own you know, diving canister with you on the plane. So you need to find a paddy person wherever you're going. Uh, maybe you're going to Greece or maybe you're going to Florida wherever you're going. But if you show them your card, they're like, great, you know, all the skills, here's your tank. You can rent that or go out with our dive master. So you do a, an online course, which you said you just passed. It's about 15 to 20 hours of stuff. I was surprised at how in depth it was. And you can do a bunch of different exams and then a final exam. Then you have to do a pool course. So there's a certain... A minimum number of skills that you need, and so those skills are things like um, how to clear your mask if it fills up with water. Um, how do you clear your regulator if it popped out? So this almost happened to me. We'll get into later. Someone didn't see me and they hit me with an elbow accidentally, trying to grab onto the buoy line, and it almost popped my regulator out. So what what do you do when that happens?
0: You punch, you punch that person back.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> in, that's,
0: that's in the advanced diving. <laughs> We got to fight with Upshaw on the water.
1: So now here's the thing, and and, and uh, this hopefully doesn't come across as braggadocious. One of the things that I like about myself, and people don't usually talk about this sort of stuff because they don't want to seem like they're bragging. I enjoy and frequently endeavor to try new things. And um, most people kind of get stuck in their ways. They do the same thing they always do. Um, I I enjoy and I'm not afraid to be a novice at stuff. And so I've taken up wood turning. I took a woodworking class. I have been building a tiny house, uh, taking this diving thing, learning some stock trading. It's like I will jump into an activity knowing that I'm probably going to really be bad at it out of the gate and see if I like it or not. And so um, I've found over the years, I thought that a lot of people would be that way. People are not that way. Uh, most people do not like to try new things. And whether that be travel or food or learning new skills, like that's something that I've prided myself on. And, and you've made comments on it over the years. So this thing to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. I'm nervous about it. Because if you do it wrong, you can die. So things where the outcome is possible death. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I never did mountain climbing with you It's like, A, I don't think I would enjoy it. And B, if I mess up, dying seems like a bad outcome. (laughs) And so I just didn't do that.
0: That is a bad outcome. So I passed my test. We're on the same phase.
1: Passed the pool phase. And by by the way, at our pool training, there were two women that are not divers. And I even pulled our instructor aside and I said... I don't think these two would be safe in the water. Like, we're on the same page.
0: You pulled the instructor sign? Yes. of course you did.
1: Because I didn't know if they could see everybody. There's there's two instructors. Were in- you be
0: in a towel, towel? No. Okay.
1: I was out for their safety. I was like if this person would harm themselves. What
0: were they what were they doing as a non-instructor Just, that you uh They you had saw? no
1: body awareness. They, you know, dropped their canister. They couldn't do any of the skills. Mm. Uh there would panic underwater, like it was it was not good. Yeah. So anyways, I passed the pool thing and now you have to do four open water dives. Now, people in the Puget Sound, you can do it in the Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. You can go off of uh West Seattle, they have a couple dive spots, they have one in Edmonds, and it's very cold. Uh there's not a lot of visibility, and it is not the same as diving somewhere in the tropics. Right. So I was like yeah, I don't want to get. I don't want to do my my four open water dives here, and so that's where we had this Costa Rica trip. And scheduled. you can,
0: if you go to a local dive shop here, you do your paddy course online, and then you can do your pool work at a local dive shop. And then they have something called a passport service. So Ron went to Costa Rica. I'm going to Maui, and the passport service because it's all under the umbrella of paddy, it allows you to do the online course, the pool. And then finish somewhere that you really love, and then uh, at that point, then you'll get your uh, you'll get your card and your certification.
1: Yeah. So um, it was me and three other guys. We we're all getting certified. Um, we found a Patty Master instructor down there. Uh, Charter the boat. At first, we had to pull a lot of strings to get four dives. You have to get four dives. We wanted all our dives together, and we wanted all our dives with the same dive master. And so that was uh, something that, you know, we cost a little bit extra and, but it was something that that we wanted to do. So I don't know which part of it is most intriguing to you, but so that first dive, uh, my dive master name was Kike, lovely Costa Rican guy, really great diver, really good instructor. And um, he's like, Hey, I know you guys are excited. We're going to do a little bit of a, I'm going to take you around and show you some stuff your first dive, uh, and then we'll go through the skills at the end, because obviously you're on one tank. There's a limited amount of oxygen that you have or air. And so, um, and here's the thing to me, and I thought about you, because you go in, and as you're going down, you know, you learn this in the course. It's one thing to learn in a course, another thing to be in the ocean. A, it's salt water. You jump in as you're going down. You really, your ears clog up. Your sinuses clog up. You have to clear all. There's a hundred things you're trying to remember. It's like, don't breathe too heavily. Check your buoyancy. Check out your PSI. Clear your nose. Don't Make forget sure to breathe. Breath. Don't forget to breathe. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. Like all these things uh, you're going through. It's like, what are the three skills we're going to cover? So uh, We're going down, and I'm trying to remember all of these things. And I'm also trying to be like, I need to stay close to my group um you can't really see like normally because your mask sort of restricts your vision your peripheral vision so i'm going through all that stuff i'm trying to clear my nose some water's getting in my mask like it's a whole deal so we finally get down to about 45
0: 50 feet which
1: doesn't seem like a lot you go oh i could throw a football hundreds of feet when it's 50 feet underwater it's a lot
0: did you think of my son at all and go wow Don's son, at 11 years old, has been this far down in the Puget Sound.
1: Being young is actually an asset because they don't have the same caution that we do. Yeah, like the 17-year-old was all over the yard because he just doesn't.
0: Which is fearless, swimming around like Flipper. He's
1: fearless and he was great. So we get down there and we start to swim around, and I'm sort of getting again. I'm still, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm not comfortable, um, and by nobody's fault, but just my own thing being a guy in his 50s learning a skill where i could die so it's like i'm 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 trying to figure it out trying to do all my skills uh you know me it's like if i do something i want to be the best at it so i was like i want to use the least amount of air and do all that like i want all my skills to be perfect and get it on the first try and not have to slow anybody else down and all these things so Kike's pointing out, he's like, oh, here's uh, this certain type of fish. And he's pointing out the, the coral reef. And we come around this big rock. And again, something you don't experience in the pool. Pool, you can see everything. You know where the ladder is. You're not swimming around rocks. We come around this rock formation, and I'm kind of like third in line. And so I'm just, you know, there's a lot of bubbles in front of me, and people's flippers are in front of me. And so I come around this corner. There is a school of white tip sharks chilling out in this little cove and the largest of width. And I I don't want to like be hyperbolic here. The smallest was about five feet long. The largest was easily 10, probably more like 12 feet long. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. Say it was jaws, he He couldn't have eaten my torso in a mouth bite, but my arm could have fit in that guy's mouth easy <laughs> and so it, if you just think of so the, the length of 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 a sedan that's how long this white tip shark is. It's not a great white, but it looks like a great white. So it's got the same structure, the same sort of uh, similar type of mouth, but not the big teeth in there. Yeah. Um, if you, if you didn't know that it was not a great white, you would think it was a great white. Did your
0: dive master say that you're going to be swimming by a den he, of sharks? He
1: said, there's a possibility, but like when you're up on the, the surface, you don't know what's down there. So he's like, sometimes he knows what's down. sometimes there could be sharks in this, this area. That's what he said. Uh, and so I came around and again, you're 50 feet underwater. Yeah, and so uh, can I say on the podcast that I nearly pooped my pants? Like <laughs> it was,
0: I, I was. I'm pooping my pants over here li- listening to it. <laughs> and so now,
1: here's the thing: you can do this for a like if you put your your put your two index fingers in between your molar teeth and kind of bite down a little bit, and, and now try to swallow while that's in place. Yeah, it's hard. So like I, and you're trying to breathe. So you have this mouthpiece regulator in, and I want to be like, holy crap, yeah.
0: that's a shark.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then you sort of need to, my mouth sort of went dry and I need to swallow. And you can't really swallow because this regulator's in there. And I was like, holy crap. Now here's the entire thing. And I'll wrap this up to so another segment's going long. The entire four dives are desensitizing you to panic. You really go into your own psyche, or at least I did. And I talked to Kike about this, and he's like, you'd be surprised at how many really put-together people absolutely panic. Yeah. And they try to take you down not too deep that if you freak out and just swim to the surface, that you're not going to get the bends and you're not going to have a medical issue. It could happen, but it's it's a low probability. You're down there. You want to – everything in me was saying to get out. Everything in me is like, this is not natural. This is dangerous. You need to fight or flight. The flight instinct kicks in hard. And you have to calm yourself, or I did, and go, okay, I trained for this. I know what to do. This is part of being a diver. And you just need to settle down. And you can't just go, you know, cause you're on a one tank. If you yeah. use up all your oxygen, everybody's dive ends early. Yeah. Uh, you just don't go off on your own. So I wanted to protect everybody else's investment in their time. So you need to like settle down, go inside of yourself and your own ability, recognize what's happening and then persevere because, and then it's one test like that after the next. You have to take your regulator all the way out of your mouth, let it go, and bring it back. While you're at the bottom, your knees are on the bottom, you're 60 feet down. That's terrifying. You have to take your mask all the way off your head, close your eyes, put it back on, clear the mask at 60 feet. It's completely unnatural. So there's all of these skills. You have to take your entire gear set off. It's called a BCD. You have to take the entire thing off while you're on the bottom of the ocean and then put it back on, which is... Not intuitive at all, and so there's these series of skills you have to do, and your brain is saying, "Flee, flee, flee!" Like this is not where you're. You are in danger. The red lights are flashing, and you are in danger because it, under any other circumstance, you would drown. And so, like your brain is hardwired to know that you're 50 feet down, and this is not natural.
0: So, so we know you said that that cause you guys were swimming with one of our friend's sons and you said, so when you guys talked about this on the boat, and then you were th- swimming with two other gentlemen that I know that, that are around 50 as well, were they experiencing the same fight or flight that you were or, or did yeah. everybody handle it differently or everybody feel about handles
1: it, it a little bit differently, yeah. but yeah, if you're not spe- experiencing some anxiety uh, and I-, I would say 90 plus percent of people are going to have some anxiety. The 17-year-old was just a natural. Our, our our Kike was like that boy belongs to the sea. Like he was really it was really stunning to watch him dive, but for most people I, I, there was another group that we saw where a guy was so out of it that he couldn't see. He was running into other people. Mm. Like he tunnel vision, panic, like you literally he was just bumping into stuff. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how you do it. And I don't want to freak you out. I think you'll do great. You, you are going to have moments no, I, I, where you, you have to overcome severe, uh, urge to get out.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think it's important. Like I remember, uh, climbing Rainier and there's 24 of us that were going to climb and you go to climbing school before you, you climb Rainier and they say that every year 10,000 people try, 3,000 people make it, 12 people die on the mountain on average. And a lot of times it could be snowshoeing, carrying gear up through Camp Muir. Not a lot of people die when they when they go from Muir up to 4,411, yeah, four eleven. But you're climbing up on a glacier with cleavers, which are rock formations. And the thing that they can't prepare you for, you can do all the training in the world, the thing they can't prepare you for is the first time you get on one of these ladders and you look down and it's bottomless at 1.30 in the morning. Or you get on a snow bridge and if you step six inches backwards, you're falling off that bridge into crevasse and that might be it. And you might take your whole rope team with you. So it was interesting because when we were doing our, our climbing school at a lower portion of the mountain, that's when the instructors kind of decide who they think is going to make it and who is not. And it was really the cocky people that could ski really well and they were really fit. Those are all the ones that got turned around first. In fact, they had picked me to be turned around because they're like, yeah, you're a super fit guy. He's going to get turned around. So I think ultimately there were, out of our group, there were six or seven of us that made it. and And, and the people that didn't make it, that got turned around on that mountain, that got full of fear and went hypothermic and everything else. And when you're watching someone go hypothermic in front of you at three o'clock in the morning when you're in the middle of an ice storm, and there's, it's not like when you're up on a glacier that you can go hide behind a tree somewhere. And then you watch other people. We watched two people fall into crevasses. And then one guy on our team actually, uh, it was the guy that fired us at Cairo. He actually fell through a snow bridge up to his neck. In uh, his rope team, and our guide had to pull him out. So, so, so when you see that the fight or flight mechanism, I know exactly what you're talking about. And you really, in those moments, have to self soothe, and then you just have to make decisions. You just, you just, there's feelings and there's facts, and you just have to let the fact part of your brain take over, and you just have to sit there and you and and you have to continue to make good decisions. Because if you start making bad decisions. Uh, The next thing you know, you're either headed to the surface or you're heading down that mountain uh, before you hit the top. We'll see you guys on the other side of this. You can just tell that they uh, that they're just real genuine guys and and care
1: about uh, who they work with and just feel like we you know we got we got some some more friends now it truly is one of life's biggest transactions if you're downsizing upsizing or right sizing ron and don can help you buy sell or invest in real estate it all starts with a ron and don sit down hi i'm ollie hi i'm emmy hi i'm john greenland i'm lauren greenland hi my name is uh, anthony Kroll.
0: hi i'm gretchen and I'm Byron. And we sat down with, with Ron
1: and Don. Mm-hmm. They were more prepared. They paid way more attention to detail. Um, and then they just came in with a, with a lot more knowledge and were able to set those expectations up a lot better than um, some of the previous uh, realtors that we worked with. So, I mean, I was, I was extremely pleased with the, the, the entire the, the sit down, the, the experience, and, and the results, of course. There was a friendship that developed in and in, in a trust Mm-hmm. You know, I would say a trust and then, you know, we yeah. have, we love them.
0: It's been a hell of a lot of fun for one thing.
1: I see them as, as friends now. I feel like they've made me feel part of this community and knowing that, you know, Dawn's just down the street is, is comforting.
0: <laughs> we totally consider Ron and Don friends of ours now and we do
1: miss working with them. It was intense there for a little bit, but it's an experience that we'll always remember and have and um, and now lifelong friends. It's the Ron and Don Nation. That's right.
0: <laughs> Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com.
1: Thanks for listening to The Ron and Don Show. Please hit
0: subscribe. All right, you guys. Welcome back to the Ronadon Show. Don't forget, if you need us, we do something called the Ronadon Sit Down. All you have to do is go to ronadonsitdown.com. We did how many sit downs
1: did we do yesterday? Oh my gosh,
0: my butt is sore from sitting down so much. I actually stand up during the sit downs. It's virtual. It's a great conversation, and then we decide. The hey, sit down is a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, hey, getting back from Costa Rica. What are a couple of things that uh, that you really loved about the trip? Um, because you love to travel, and is it uh, would you would you go back? Because when, when I told to people that you went to Costa Rica, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I've always wanted to go."
1: So. Yeah, it's so my second trip to Costa Rica, um, and I've been to Nicaragua as well, which is the 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 country right to the north. Have not been to Panama. I've wanted to go to Panama. Um, so, not many countries have a motto uh, that people actually use. So, like you know. America, is there an official motto of America? E pluribus unum? Like whatever our motto is. I, I don't know if we have a motto, but Costa Rica has a motto, and it's unlike
0: like- America, kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
1: So um, I've never experienced this, in, in. I'm trying to think if there's any other country I've been to, and I have quite a few passport stamps in my passport that has this. So they have a phrase in Costa Rica- and the phrase is "puravita," and so it basically means, I think, directly translated is "pure life," and that's how you that's how you get greeted. That's sort of the the aloha, if you will. It's the hello and goodbye of most people, and it means that you are entering this spirit. You're, you're trying to enjoy your life. You're trying to have a purity around the, the the force of life if you will it's a little bit esoteric but it's the only country i've ever been to that this is what they do and the weird thing about it is that everybody does it and they buy into it mm. so it's not uh like a bumper st- you'll see it on bumper stickers but in it, it's not like a government program that says everybody has to say per vita it's an attitude that has become pervasive in costa rica and so when you meet people uh, and you are going places, they're underpinning everything that you do if you're with Costa Ricans is this feeling of, of Pura Vida. And it's hard to explain because at first you're sort of like, what is what is the deal here? Like, it almost seems like it's manufactured. If you know what I mean, like it's oh well, I'm a tourist, and so these people are like you know laying it on because they want a tip, or we've all been if you've traveled a bunch, you get, you know that routine, like okay, like this this guy, I'm gonna turn around, he's gonna have his hand out because he knows I'm an American and like he thinks I'm rich, and I'm gonna give him money, and so your first instinct is that that's what's happening, and that's not what's happening. Costa Ricans, by and large, have bought in to this pura vida sentiment. And so they really are enjoying the thing that they're doing in a sense. So they're trying to find pleasure in the thing they're doing. So when we went fishing or you're at the restaurant, you're talking to the bar, bartender, Minnie uh, or uh, Enrique or Alfonso, you're you're talking to these these folks, they're engaging with you in that spirit. And it's really uh, captivating. It's really fun because it's not a, a very wealthy country. You're not going to see uh, huge cities with skyscrapers and business districts and you know Michelin star restaurants. So, and, and I enjoy those type of vacations as well. But this one, we had to take a, a prop plane and land in the jungle, which freaked me out because like a little teeny runway carved out of the jungle. That was bizarre. Um, but I would say if you've never been to Costa Rica, that is a it's a charming sort of Latin flavored joy of life joys of vivre or whatever that phrase is that's really um intoxicating to be around and it makes you want to engage on that level as well so when we did like a nature hike and you see uh you know monkeys and you're seeing animals you've never seen before um your guide is having this energy with you so that was probably the thing that i always i've enjoyed it the last time i was there and i enjoyed it this time i was
0: there yeah what about what about the food? And then also, I've always wondered when people are traveling. Uh, did any of you guys turn on dating apps? Because I know that you're <laughs> with, you're with some single people, and how does Bumble work in a in a place like Costa Rica? For they instance? do
1: have Bumble in Costa Rica, they do. So yeah. I can confirm that. Uh, and food wise, it was interesting for us. We we stayed at a resort.
0: Wait, you you went over the most interesting thing that I want to talk about. Back to Bumble in Costa Rica. What was that so, like?
1: Uh, let's just say that one of the members of our party, which was not me. Uh, engaged in Bumble, and I think he went on a date in San Jose.
0: That's awesome. So uh, good for him. Yeah, he needed to go on. A uh, and
1: so, diet wise, uh, we stayed at a resort, and so our meals were included in this resort because it was you could not get there by car. Yeah. So we had to go Seattle to LAX, LAX to Costa Rica, prop plane, literally in the jungle. Yeah. Where I thought, and I have a video of it that I was like, we're going to crash in the jungle. Then you take a car, then the car stops, and the driver's like, get in the boat. So then you have to, like, well, I'm in my travel clothes. I had to take off my shoes and my pants. Uh, to. G- you have to wade out into the surf and get on this boat. And then the boat takes you to the resort. Uh, and so, yeah, all of the meals were there because there's no restaurants, there's no stores. Like you're, you're literally next to the jungle in
0: a boat. Oh, I just got an aloha. Aloha, Don. Thank you so much for uh, booking the rest of your open water dive training uh, with us here in Maui at Maui Dream. So anyway, we'll see you guys on the other side of this. All right, you guys. A lot of people are switching to Mitch. That's right. Mitch.loans. You know what you find out, though? It's kind of interesting. And this happens to a lot of us. You haven't had your credit pulled in an awful long time. You pull the credit and you find out, hey, there's some things on here that don't belong on here. Hey, before you refinance or before you go after that loan, it's really important to get underwritten first. And then that way, if you get in a competitive real estate deal, you've already dealt with the fact that, you know what, that charge from American Express wasn't your charge. You've already dealt with your credit report. That's why, Mitch, it is so important to get underwritten, right? It gives you a lot of leverage when you get into the real estate deal. It sure is.
1: Yeah. And that credit thing is huge because we have people all the time who come and we pull their credit and there's something that they just have no idea about. Right. And we have a credit credit specialist on our team. I've seen most things, but this credit specialist will go in and fix it for you. And it's huge when it comes to buying later down the road. All right, he's Mitch Weeks, is the official mortgage guy of the Ron and Don Nation. You get half a percent off of your mortgage fees when you say, "Hey, I'm with Ron and Don," and you buy that new house. Go to mitch.loans right now for more info. That's mitch.loans nmls 169 1573.
0: All right you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don show. Before we want to get out of, uh, before we get out of here uh, Very, very busy spring in real estate in the uh, saddle market. And we had something that happened yesterday that was kind of cool. We went up against an all-cash buyer, right?
1: Yeah, well, that part wasn't cool. The cool part is that we prevailed. Uh, We have some buyers from out of state, lovely couple, beautiful little baby, and they're like, we want to move to Seattle. These are the neighborhoods we like. This is our price point.
0: Yeah. So anyway, believe it or not, homes in Seattle right now, when you look at list, an average home in King County is selling for $1.1 million. That's an average home. And then if you can find a home somewhere between $1 million and two million $2 million, those homes on average are selling for about 30% over, right? So you have to be ready to go 30% over. And this is what I would say to people that are going up against all-cash buyers, because a lot of times we think, I'm out. I can't defeat an all-cash buyer. Yes, you can. And just coach up your real estate agents to do three things. Number one, stop texting and emailing the deal. Get on the phone the day, two days before, and start really creating a relationship and a friendship with that other agent. Because at the end of the day, that other agent is going to steer the deal. They're going to decide who they like. They're going to decide who they think can close. And it is the agent that drives the deal. And people don't understand that. They think it's the seller or the buyer. It's the agent that is driving it. And you want to make sure that that agent picks you. They are not going to pick you if you just sit there, if you text, if you email, if you're just emailing deals and you're not getting on the phone and creating a relationship. When I called this agent and I called her four different times, she's like, nobody makes phone calls anymore. And she's an older agent. And she really appreciated the fact that I was calling and have a conversation with her. The other thing that I said, I told her, I said, you know, we're not all cash buyers, but what we are is we're fully underwritten. And also when it comes to terms, we're going to offer you better terms than anybody else is. And I said, you know what, Lisa, promise me this before you sell this house to an all cash buyer tomorrow that you will call me, that you will tell me and that you will give me an opportunity an opportunity to come back to the table and make life better for your seller. And you know what she did? She promised me that I hear agents say all the time. Well, they went ahead and sold it and didn't call me and we could have done better. It's because you didn't ask that other agent to promise you. And the thing is when an agent promises you about a hundred percent of the time, they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to call you. And that's exactly what happened. She picked up the phone and she said, I have an all cash buyer and Ron and I went to work with that other agent and with our sellers, and with our buyers, and we said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. And what we did, I'm going to keep it between ourselves and our buyers and sellers, but what we did, most agents don't know what to do. So here's a freebie. Create a relationship. Number two, let them know up front that you are not an all-cash buyer, but number three, let them know that you are willing to sweeten the terms, And then there is something imperative that you have to do. And if you want to reach out to me on Facebook, if you're an agent, I'll help you. If you're someone that's looking to buy or sell, I'll help you as well. And I'll share that information with you. I just want to be careful here because I want to be sensitive to our buyers and sellers out there when it comes to this amount of money and securing a home. So anyway, Ron, this is amazing because our buyers are way down in California And they hadn't even seen the house here, but mom and dad had, we had gone through the house. We looked at the inspection report and we were able to land this house yesterday in a beautiful Seattle neighborhood. And the amazing thing about this house is, well, I'll tell you what, I want this house. We, in fact, we went to shoot a little video there today. I love this house, you guys. So I just want to let you know, in a market like this, people feel like sometimes it's really hard to represent buyers we can do that even if you're not all cash. All right.
1: Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I would just say that um, good job out of you. Good job out of me. And, and getting everything in a row is the hard part. Like people, the same thing. It goes for everything. Like the diving story we told earlier, when you work out or whatever, everybody wants to see the after picture. Um, getting it, getting everything set and ready, which we had done. So when it came to, when it was go time and the pressure was on, everybody knew what to do. Everybody knew there wasn't this moment of like, oh my god! It was yeah, like we knew. all knew what to do. Yeah, uh, we had that conversation because we had practiced. Uh, everybody knew their role, and when it came time when the pressure was on, we were able to perform. And
0: that agent shows us, and I guarantee you, if we wouldn't have created a personal relationship with her. She wouldn't have chose us. So make sure your agent, whoever is representing you. That they get on the phone. This text message, I'm going to email my way to victory, is not going to happen. And then also make sure you are underwritten, that you have done your work, your tax forms, everything, so you know exactly the type of leverage that you have. If you need us, you can reach out, right?
1: Yeah, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. You can also email me directly. Uh, that is
0: ron at windermere.com. Hey, you guys, coming up episode 394, I just got back from New York City. Yeah, I was in New York City with my son. And we were there. We were 3.7 miles away from where 10 people got shot in the subway. And it was the first time my son had ever been in a New York subway. And then we found out a gunman was on the loose. We'll tell you what happened next. Well, we'll tell you what happened on the next episode. So make sure you listen to episode 394. It'll be here before you know it. Thanks for listening to 393. If you need us, just reach out. I'm Don O'Neill on Facebook, Don O'Neill 34 on Instagram. And Ron is Ron Upshaw everywhere. All right? Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time right here. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
1: Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only. 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.